Well, good morning. It is great to see you. My name is Daniel, as Mark just prayed, and I'm one of the pastors, and I'm really glad you're with us, joining us at the 9 a.m. service uh, here. Uh, we're going to continue this morning in our summer sermon series. If you've been, been with us, we've been in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, and uh, we've been trying to seek uh, to understand what is the way of wisdom. Uh, wisdom is the wedding of thought and experience in order to become competent with the realities of life. We've also said that wisdom is godly skill that helps us navigate the complexities of our day-to-day living. Uh, We've uh, sought to understand how to live wisely in a complex world as we've studied wisdom in the tongue, wisdom in friendship, wisdom in anger, wisdom in decision-making. And this morning, we are going to look at wisdom and the heart. Uh, The word heart is mentioned close to 80 times in the book of Proverbs and over 700 times in the Bible. I think on these numbers alone, we can all agree that the heart, according to Scripture, is extremely important. Uh, But before we dive in to Proverbs, I want to clarify what the Bible means when it says heart. Uh, Tim Keller helps us with a definition here. This is what Tim Keller says. He says, in the Bible, the heart is not primarily the seat of emotions in contrast to the head as the seat of reason. Rather, the heart is the seat of your deepest trusts, commitments, and loves from which everything flows. So the Bible corrects our often faulty way of viewing human nature. We're not a conflict of head and heart or even a conflict of body and soul. The heart is the center of life. The heart is like Grand Central Station where everything flows out of and from. The heart is the place where feelings, needs, desires, longings, and hopes flow from and shape our thinking and our actions. So you may be wondering, well, what, does, what does the heart have to do with wisdom? Everything. <laughs> everything. Because whatever you believe will meet your feelings, needs, desires, longings, and hopes. Or another way to put it, whatever has your heart will be the ultimate thing in your life and it will shape the way you live and it will lead you in the decisions that you make. For instance, if career is ultimate, it'll shape the amount of hours you work, the amount of time that you do not spend exercising or resting and caring for yourself, the amount of time that you don't spend with your friends or family. All these things could lead you to burnout personally and it can lead to many other relational issues. And if money is ultimate, It's going to shape the job you pursue regardless of how much you enjoy it and feel gifted at it. It can lead you to hoard or to invest your money in purely selfish ways. If marriage is ultimate, it'll shape how you date, who you date, and can lead you to overprotect and control your dating life or be haphazard and rush in too quickly to marriage. I could keep going, right? But I think you get the point. The point that Proverbs is making is that if anything besides God has your heart, it will lead you to walk the way of the fool rather than the way of wisdom. And so we're going to look at Proverbs together, wisdom in the heart. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand, as we do every Sunday, to give attention to God's Word. And we've been taking from a lot of different Proverbs each week as we look at different issues, and we do so again this week, and instead of Referencing each verse, I'm just going to read it as it is in the bulletin or as it appears on the screen. But this is God's word uh, to us this morning. 
Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray together. Well, God, I ask that you would speak to us now and that you would speak to our hearts, that you would transform our heart. We pray that you, Jesus, uh, would uh, be the one who speaks. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pour out a fresh sense of your presence among us so that the the words that we just read in your scriptures would come to life. They'd grab hold of our minds. They'd grab hold of our feelings, and they would transform the way we act, that all of who we are would be captivated by who you are. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. The, the APGAR test it's a test given to every newborn infant within the first one to five minutes of their birth to determine how well the baby's doing outside the mother's womb. Every newborn infant takes the APGAR test. And there are five components to the APGAR test. Testing for skin color, heart rate, reflexes, muscle tone, and respiration. Now, Dr. Chip Dodd, if you've been around here, he's, he's made an influence on me and a number in this church. He, he makes the point that as much as the APGAR test is a biological, physiological assessment of need for emergency care, it also checks to assess the emotional and spiritual capacity for normality. He says that there are three essential movements the child needs, right, right when it's born, to express for normality that the APGAR is testing for. One, does the child cry out, expressing fear of not having security and the need for comfort and for care. Number two, will the child reach out to experience the touch of another human being, right? the, the reflex response of connection? And third, will the child grasp for food, take in, suck in the nurturance for growth, right? Does the child cry out, reach out, and take in? And if the three essentials are evident, the child is ready to begin this long journey of living as they're created to live. And Chip Dodd's point is this, that before a person can utter a word, before a person has developed cognitive abilities, we are emotional and spiritual human beings with full hearts of feelings, needs, desires, longings, and hopes created to live in connection with ourselves, with others, and with God. And in other words, all of life flows from the heart. And so I want us to look at two things this morning as we seek to tend to and care for our hearts. The first is we need to pay attention to our outside life. And the second is we need to cultivate our interior life. We need to pay attention to our outside life. And secondly, we need to cultivate our interior life. Let's look first at paying attention to our outside 
life. Proverbs 4, verses 14 to 15 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. We're being told that all of us are walking on some path. That each and every one of us are taking steps on this path. Each decision we make determines our final destiny. As someone once famously said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. In other words, actions matter. What we choose to do, what we choose to look at, how we choose to speak, shape and impact our hearts. As James K. Smith says in his great book, You Are What You Love, the orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. And all of us have habits and practices that are shaping our hearts. The question is, what are our habits and practices? Not the ones we simply espouse to poo. Because it is poo. Uh, but what are the ones we actually live into? Right? Not the ones we say we have. Not, our, not the ones we say are shaping our lives. But what are the ones we truly live into? Right? What are the words we speak? How do we talk? It shapes our heart. If we speak words of encouragement, if we celebrate, if we're, if we're you know, full of gratitude, it's going to shape our hearts. If we speak dis- discouragement, judgment, gossip, it's going to shape our hearts. Right? What we look at shapes our hearts. Do we gaze upon the beauty of God's world? Do we look in wonder at all of God's creation? It will shape our hearts. Or do we look with lust at that woman or that man? Do we fantasize about sex or fantasize about the new countertops or the the new home or the new clothes? It will shape our hearts. I recently watched an episode of Black Mirror on Netflix. Uh, Black Mirror's, uh, the the seasons are kind of standalone episodes uh, around futuristic kind of technology yet current cultural kind of realities and some of the episodes are just way too far out there for me too dark but but some are really good and the one I, I watched this past, past week was really good it was uh, ep- uh, season three episode one uh, an episode called nosedive and the whole premise of this episode was that there's a world in which everyone was living and, and thriving based off their personal ratings Right? On, a, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 5, everybody was rated. You could be a 1.7, you could be a 4.8, but everybody was rated on a scale of 1 to 5. And every interaction you had with another person, right, when a person interacted with another person, they would immediately take out their phone and rate that person on a scale of 1 to 5. So if you went to get coffee, and depending on your interaction with the barista, you would rate 4 or 5 stars. Or if you had a conversation in the elevator, three stars, five stars. Go to work and you have interaction at work, you rate based on your interaction. Everybody would pull out their phone and rate one another. The main character uh, of this episode was a woman called Lacey Pound, uh, played by Dallas Howard. Lacey was a 4.2 star rating. And she became obsessed with becoming a 4.5 or above. Because in this world, this future world, right, if you were 4.5 or above, you were treated with special privileges uh, and, and everybody would, you know, would treat you in, in high regard. And so she immediately, when she began, began to become obsessed with being a 4.5 or higher, uh, she would wake up each day, pull out her phone, go to every interaction, 
rate that person five star with the hope that they would rate her back as a five star. And then she would look as her rating would climb from a 4.2 to a 4.3, all the way to almost a 4.5. But right when she was about to get a 4.5, she took a nosedive for a host of reasons in the episode. And her life began to unravel. She didn't know what to do. She got extremely sad. She got violently mad. She started making rash and crazy decisions. And what I think this showed is that Lacey's practice of rating and being obsessed with her own rating deeply shaped her heart, deeply shaped her love. Actions matter. If we cram our hearts full of death through our actions, it will reap death. If we cram our hearts full of life through our actions, it can reap the life we were created to live with. It is the little choices we face every day that will shape our hearts. Proverbs 27, 19 says, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. What we do reveals our hearts. But we can't become too simplistic in our understanding of the heart. Our hearts are not simply a matter of grit and determination to have the right habits and practices. And if you've ever tried to change your feelings, needs, desires, longings, and hopes through sheer willpower, have you ever tried to tell yourself to just stop it and start something new? It doesn't last long if you try to do this because the heart follows what the heart loves. Let me read another verse, Proverbs 4.23. says, keep your heart from all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. This is a great verse. Uh, It's a great verse if you ever memorize scripture, to memorize, to store in your heart. Another translation of the way I memorized Proverbs 4.23 is, Above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It's a wellspring of life. The heart's not a stagnant pool, but it's a spring by which all of life flows out of. And we're told to guard our heart, to, to keep watch over our heart. And the way we do this is not solely by doing the right actions, though, as I've said, I think actions shape our hearts. Actions matter, but worship matters most. And what we really need is something greater to captivate our hearts. Uh, Thomas Chalmers was a minister 200 years ago in Scotland, and probably his most famous sermon ever was the expulsive power of a new affection. Some of you may even have heard this sermon And in it, Thomas Chalmers makes some really good insights. He says this, that even if we see the stupidity of our sins, even if we see the stupidity of how we're cramming death into our hearts, it might lead us to sadness, but it still does not change us. We start changing only when we experience the expulsive power of a greater affection, specifically beholding Jesus and the life we have in Christ. Only when we see that the only thing we lose in Christ is the cursedness we deserve because of sin and that in Christ we gain everything we desire and we're created for. Only when the expulsive power of a new affection for Christ comes into our hearts through beholding Christ will our hearts truly be changed. And so we need to be spending time beholding Christ. Word and prayer, Sabbath worship, solitude and rest, study, journaling. These are just a few ways to behold Christ and to allow Christ to become greater and to have this new affection stir our hearts to worship 
which ultimately leads to true change. In a few weeks, uh, we're going to share some more specifics with you as a church, some practices and habits that we've kind of lived into as a church over the last nine years of being a church, but never really clearly put before you and, and given a framework for. And, and so uh, be on the lookout. I'm excited for us to kind of frame some of the practices and habits we think are important to behold Christ and to be shaped and formed by Christ. Uh, practices that exhort our hearts into worship that will help us guard and tend to our hearts. Because we do need to pay attention to the way we live our lives, the actions that we, and, and the outside life we have. Now, if I, were, if I were to simply end there, it would be much too simplistic. Just pay attention to your hearts, do what is right, you'll be okay. But that's not how Proverbs speaks comprehensively about the heart. It, it's more complicated that, than that. Our outside life does matter, but our interior life also matters. And this is my second point, to cultivate your interior life. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. This verse is teaching us to, to seek out and to discern what is really happening on the inside, that the heart is deep, and to draw out what we really feel, need, desire, long for, and hope for takes intentionality. Uh, Proverbs has many do's and don'ts for walking the way of wisdom. But one of the main points of Proverbs is that in order to walk the way of wisdom, there's nothing more important than cultivating one's inner being. And to do so, we need to discern what's truly happening on our inside. Proverbs 25 says the purpose in a person's heart. This is like saying the motive of the heart. The motive of the heart is deep water. We don't always know why we do what we do. What Proverbs is saying is wisdom seeks to discern the motives of one's heart. Now, this past week, uh, I got into a conversation with someone, and they said something to me, and all of a sudden, I got pretty defensive. And I was pretty quickly aware that something was happening on my inside. My insides got revved up because my physical heart actually started beating faster. Uh, and, and, I, and I left the conversation and I, I was asking myself, what happened? Like, what happened and where did that come from? And I was able to discern as I reflected that unknowingly this person touched on some hurt in my past. I felt vulnerable in, in this conversation. I felt the pain of the past. And again, not cognitively, but subconsciously and emotionally, I, I got defensive. And it happened so fast. And then I, I, I tried to discern what, what was going on. And, and to discern what was happening, I had to be aware of my past story. I had to be able to name the hurt of my past and own it as hurt. And then I had to be aware that I was responding out of my hurt when I was being defensive. An important piece of discernment in your heart is knowledge of your own story. Do you understand your past? Because the reality is that every single one of us has family dynamics we grew up with. We all had family mantras that, we, that were either spoken or unspoken. We all grew up with expectations placed on us, pains we've experienced, traumas, friendships that were important, celebrations, transitions. All of these things have shaped our hearts. They're a part of our story. From the day we were born, We've been crying out to belong, 
reaching out to feel safe, taking in to live life to the full. Yet, we live in a tragic world where life is not lived as God created it to be, which means every single one of us has experienced crying out and not belonging, reaching out and not feeling safe, taking in but not living to the full. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never done a deep dive into understanding your personal story, how you grew up, experiences you've had, major turns, experiences, transitions, to do this. You could do it with a friend. You could do it with a small group in our church. You could do it with a counselor. I'll plug here the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class that we're going to offer again in the fall. One of the big parts of this class is understanding your story and your past. We have to understand our, our story. And, and we do this not to, to get angry at our past, not to feel shame, not to feel guilt or pride, but so that we can better understand ourselves so that we can discern our hearts in the present moment. Discerning what is happening in our hearts helps us cultivate our interior life. And so does embracing emotion. Embracing emotion. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. This is kind of a depressing psalm a little bit. It's a true psalm. This proverb is saying, there's a loneliness about our human experience that in many ways no one will ever understand. That all of us will feel a loneliness that no one else can understand. And, and it, it's depressing when you think about that, but it, it's freeing when you understand this, that there is nothing wrong or evil with feeling lonely. We all experience it from birth to death. Adam in the Garden of Eden experienced being alone when creation was very good. If you missed City Fellowship on Wednesday, by the way, you missed some gold from Evan. Uh, he, he taught around loneliness in some very, very great ways. Go listen to it if you missed it. But here's what Proverbs is saying in, in Proverbs 14. Don't be shocked by loneliness. It doesn't mean anything is wrong with you. It's a feeling and we all have them. And Proverbs 14, 13 says, even in laughter, the heart may ache and the end of joy may be grief. This proverb is saying, hey, life's a mixed bag at best. In one moment, we're joyful and another moment, we're sad. We, all, we don't always know. And so all we can do is try to name what we're feeling and own it as our emotion that's happening on our inside. I'll reiterate what I just said about loneliness is true for every emotion. Emotions are not bad. They just are. If you feel fear, name it. If you feel guilty, ashamed, you can name it. If you feel sad, hurt, you can name it. Sometimes in Christian circles, we Bible our way out of feeling our emotions. We use the Bible to kind of suppress or deny how we feel. Or sometimes we can rationalize our way out of how we feel. Sometimes we numb our way out of how we feel. But emotions open us up to what's really happening on the inside. And we need to cultivate our interior life by being honest and naming what we feel. Proverbs 17:22 says, A joyful heart is medicine. It's good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A heart fully alive is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A crushed spirit. It's, it's, it's a spirit that looks out on life 
with no feelings, no needs, no desires, no longings, and no hopes. It's a life without passion. And this is not the way God created us to live. We were created to live with a heart fully open, feeling our feelings, feeling our needs, our desires, longings, and hopes. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, there's a lot of gushy talk about emotions, uh, Daniel. Why are we talking about all this emotional talk? Well, Jesus, who is the image of God, was very emotional. Jesus lived passionately. Jesus loved deeply. Jesus was moved with pity and compassion. Jesus wept with sadness. Jesus was anything but emotionally aloof. He was the most passionate and most emotional person to ever live. And his humanity and humility is what allows him to relate and understand all that we go through and ever will go through. He's very well acquainted with us. And he doesn't ask us to be emotional deserts, but emotional gardens, cultivating our interior life through relationship with ourselves, with one another, and mostly with God. Jesus doesn't come along and give us some hyped-up pep talk about how to make life better. He doesn't give us cheap flattery to feel better about ourselves. Jesus extends real forgiveness. When we've spoken, acted, and thought in ways we should not. Jesus extends real grace when we cram death into our hearts. Jesus accepts us and he loves us as we are, not as we should be. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, wrote this. There are two ways to live the Christian life. You can live it either for the heart of Christ or from the heart of Christ. You can live it for the smile of God or from it. For a new identity as a son or daughter of God or from it. For, uh, for your union with Christ or from it. The battle of the Christian life is to bring your own heart into alignment with Christ's. That is getting up each morning and replacing your natural orphan mindset with a mindset full and free as an adopted son and daughter of God through the work of your older brother, Jesus, who loved you and gave himself for you out of the overflowing fullness of his gracious heart. It's the heart of Jesus that leads us to live fully from our hearts. I had a conversation with someone at City Fellowship uh, Wednesday as we were kind of breaking up into discussions around the talk. And this person looked at me, it was just uh, me and her, and she said, you know, sometimes I feel like because I have a relationship with Jesus, I should never feel lonely. I shouldn't feel afraid or ashamed or sad. And I was like, I get that. I've, I've felt that. And I think many churches can make people feel like that. But hear me, please. A relationship with God does not take away our feelings. But we are promised to never be alone in our feelings. That God is always with us and he wants to transform our hearts through experiencing his loving heart. So don't fall into a faulty way of viewing human nature. We're not a conflict of thought and emotion. The heart is the seat of your deepest trust, commitments, and loves. It is Grand Central Station. And God wants to change our hearts through paying attention to our outside life and through cultivating our interior life so that we can be fully alive, crying out, reaching out, and taking in, in relationship with ourselves, 
with one another, and mostly with God. Let's pray. Well, God, I ask that you would transform us in the deepest way. Uh, Lord, in what we love and what our hearts are set upon. Lord, help us in the way we live, the, the actions that we take to have habits and practices that really do shape our hearts. And Lord, take us to this place of cultivating the interior life uh, where we know who we are in you, uh, where we can discern what's happening, where we can name what's happening uh, so that you can meet us where we are and transform us. Thank you that you've been with us now. Be with us as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.